And the reading this morning is Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. And that's on page 1049 in the Pew Bibles. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. The parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here am I, starving to death? I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray together that God would speak to us from this passage. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to come together. And we ask, Lord, that you'd open the scriptures to us this morning. We pray, Holy Spirit, you give us understanding. And we pray that we'd be willing to align our lives with your plan for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is a very, very exciting day, especially for the children who we've been praying for today and their families 
and friends. And if you're one of their families and friends and sponsors, maybe you've spent some time in recent days thinking, what do I bring to the party? What present can I give? And maybe you've thought ahead and you thought, I want to try and give them a present that they'll grow into, not grow out of. Uh, I heard a couple of people who came up with some pretty imaginative ideas. I'm not quite sure the parents knew what to do with the present. Uh, my father-in-law turned up to a baptism he was about to take and he realized on driving towards the service he hadn't bought a present yet, so he stopped off at a garage and he presented this baby with a football, which I thought was, that was forward thinking. I'm not quite sure another family was so pleased to be presented with a puppy, but there we are. I know that on the shelves of my uh, study is a copy of the complete works of Shakespeare. And uh, I've always been glad to own that volume. It looks very pretty on the shelves. It's leather bound. I haven't read it all. Um, of course, it was heading in the right direction, a gift I would grow into. This morning, I want to speak about one story that Jesus told. And my prayer and my suggestion is it would be the most marvelous present if each of the children could come to understand this one story that Jesus told. And it's a story you probably know as the story of a prodigal son. And most likely it's familiar to you. So we have to sort of pinch ourselves and say, yes, we'll be willing to listen to it all over again. But for me, it's a story I am certainly continually growing into and appreciate more and more and more. And I want to suggest an angle of looking at it this morning. It's not to see it as a story of a prodigal son, but instead to consider it as three biographies. Three biographies. Let's remind ourselves of how the story starts in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. Now for some of us, here this morning, this conversation, this sequence of events isn't really hard to imagine at all. You've had this conversation, or one like it, and it may be that to the Reynolds and the Nelson families, in the blink of an eye, this is a conversation you're going to have. It's called, what happens when your child wants to have a gap year? <laughs> the child gets together all that they have and sets off for a distant country. And as Jesus tells this story, this son from this point onwards faces disaster. Everything that can go wrong does go wrong. This son's chosen destination isn't named, but it's a long way from home. We're told he set off for a distant country. His financial planning wasn't very advanced. He set off with all that he had. And he chose his destination poorly because a severe famine fell on the whole country. And not only that, the bright lights dazzled him 
he lost control over his spending, and he found he was quickly out of cash. As Jesus says, he squandered his wealth on wild living. And his life hits the pits. He hires himself out to feed the pigs. And of course, we remember that Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience predominantly. And it would have produced a shudder of disgust and a sense of shame, for they knew that pigs were unclean animals. So this young man finds himself in the pits. I suppose a modern equivalent might be something like getting caught up in the child trafficking business. And there he is, living amongst pigswill, not exactly something that's going to go on his CV in the future. And it hasn't solved his hunger problem either. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything to eat. And then, as a turning part of the story, he comes to his senses. No doubt, because the guy begins to think about life differently, and he's saying to himself, so maybe life wasn't so bad at home after all. Even the servants get better treated than this back at home. And he determines, as you know, I'll set out and go back to my father and tell him how I've hashed up my life. What we probably miss, but what Jesus' audience would not have missed, is a sense of suspense. What will happen when the boy gets home? I remember hearing back from a student here in Cambridge who got a secondment to a school in China. And it was during the long holidays. And he was not allowed to be an evangelist. He was not allowed to preach. But he was allowed to teach English. And what he used to do, which was quite canny, really, he used to tell them the first part of this story. And then he'd stop at the part where the runaway son comes home. And he'd ask these young children in China, what do you think the father will do? None of them guessed, none of them would guess, he told me, the right ending. It's a surprise ending. The father runs out to meet the son, doesn't he? And the father says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast, let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found, and they began to celebrate. And the takeaway point I would like us to see here is, there is a safe place to go. There is a safe place to go. There is a person to go to when life isn't working out. There is somewhere that love can be found, and someone who will love you, however in the pits you feel, or whatever hole you're in, whether you've dug it for yourself or not. And maybe we've heard this story before many, many times. Maybe we're not at all surprised by the outcome of this story. But let's remember, let's remember, there is a place to turn to. And I'll come back to this later on. But my suspicion is, each of us have a part in our lives where we will find ourselves living out each of the three biographies.
It's very unusual if there isn't some time in a life where you feel you've hashed up. You would be exceptionally fortunate if you go through life without wondering at some time or other who will love me seeing what I'm really like. And the good news for this runaway son was that the echoes of the music in his father's house never really left him. It became a, a theme tune in the distance, but it drew him back again. There was love, there was love for the boy who hashed up. I think there's no better gift, of course, than a parent can give to his child that, than you'll always be welcome home. You'll always be welcome home. And we see that the father in this story was on the lookout for his son. That's the implication that every day, every day the father was scouring the horizon. Because we're told in the story, as Jesus tells it, when he saw his son a long way off, he ran towards him. And as we know, he celebrated. Well, let's move to the second biography. Because though we often know this story as the story of a prodigal son, it isn't actually just the story of a prodigal son. It is also the story of the other son, the stay-at-home son. It, it's literally as if Jesus breaks into this story and says, meanwhile, back on the ranch. And then we get introduced to this second son. And what are we to make of the older child? Introduced in verse 25. He really isn't someone that it's easy to warm to, is he? I don't think he's meant to be. For a start, he's introduced to us as a party pooper. The rest of the family are busy celebrating. The music is loud, the feast's begun, and he's out in the field avoiding it all. He stays away from the party, and when he hears what it's all about, he certainly doesn't rejoice, and he certainly isn't glad that his brothers come home. He can't even acknowledge that it is his brother who's come home. Do you notice that when he talks to the father? When this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fatted calf for him? What's happened to this child? It turns out in a way that neither of these children are particularly attractive, are they? How did he become like this? It's quite a warning. The older son, to most people looking on, would have been nothing but a success story. Not a hint of suspicion of pig swill anywhere near him. No doubt the people he met often doffed their caps to him and deferentially recognized him as the oldest son and the heir of a fortune. But inside, evidently, he was miserable. Perhaps it's what happens when you live amongst beauty all the time. You don't appreciate it so much after a while. Perhaps we need to notice, by looking more carefully at Luke's gospel, what Luke tells us at the beginning of chapter 15, namely that Jesus is actually talking to two very different groups of people as he tells his story. Listening on that day in verse 1, tax collectors and sinners 
were all gathering around to hear him. They were people whose lives were messed up and knew it. They were people who could describe the far country very well. They'd been there. They found that it was a very lonely planet indeed. But there were also, in verse 2, the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And they lived within earshot of the speaker day by day. They took the scenic route to work every day. They'd become largely tone deaf and blind to the beauty of what stood in front of them. And while Jesus, God's son, is drawing to himself all kinds of people, and more and more people are coming alive to God's love, they, the Pharisees, have become sour and harsh. And just as the elder son in the story, instead of being glad to see his brother, came home angry, so the father in the story doesn't reject the older son. He goes out to meet him too. It may be a shorter journey, but he makes it. His love includes and encapsulates the stay-at-home kid. The father goes out and pleads with him. The same gift is open, but a safe place to go. There's a wonderful person to turn to when life is working out. But inside your heart is growing callous, conceited, and cold. And arguably, it's a more dangerous condition as it comes upon us stealthily and it's concealed by success. Maybe self-righteousness is less obvious a form of self-harming than the runaway kids' challenges. But the message is there. God has love for you. And what about the third biography, the biography of the Father? Well, I think we're obviously meant to see here is love. Here is care. Here is kindness. Here is forgiveness. But we're also told something else about him. In each of the stories that Jesus actually tells in this chapter, they have two common themes. Lost and found. A lost coin, which is found. A lost sheep, which is found. Two lost sons, which are found. But the other thing that they have in common is joy. If you read this whole chapter through, you'll find that the punchline of each story is, we must rejoice because we found a lost coin. We must rejoice because we found a lost sheep. We must rejoice because the dead have come to life. My son has come home. And it's as if Jesus is saying, there is rejoicing in heaven when people turn to the love of a father. And there is something else of a biographical nature people often point out in this story, which is that Jesus is prefiguring, in a way, what happens to enable us to come home. He is the way home. He is the way home. And it cost him a lot. 
God so loved the world that he gave his son so we could find our way home. Because through him, we have a way into God's company. So I would love each of the children who have been dedicated today to connect with this story. And I end with a true story which always enlivens the story Jesus told to me. And you may have heard me tell this story before, but bear with me because it's such a good one. And it's a true story of a child growing up in India. And he grew up with a considerable luxury and prosperity. And one day in a kind of adolescent phase, he did exactly what the child in this story did. And he took all his possessions and some money from his parents, I think they gave him the money, and he went traveling for a very long time. And in the whole of his time traveling around seeing the world, he didn't stay in communication at all with his parents. And then he ran out of money and his luck ran out and his life went to pieces. And when he was absolutely in the pits, he could think of nothing else to do with himself apart from maybe to make his way home. But by this time, he had enough regret and enough going on in his head that he really didn't know if his parents would accept or reject him. So what he did was he, he wrote them a, a letter. And he posted it and he said to them, it's, amongst other things he must have said in the letter, but he said to them, uh, I will be on the train uh, which will arrive home at this particular time, he told them. And he said, but I wouldn't blame you if you don't want to see me. So as a sign that you want to see me, can I ask you would hang a handkerchief on a tree at the bottom of the garden. And when the train comes past your garden, I will see the sign. And if you don't want to see me, fair enough. I don't blame you. And he caught the train, it was a very long journey. And as they were nearing his home, as you would be, he was incredibly nervous. Incredibly nervous. So nervous that he found he didn't really want to look out the window at all. So he said to someone else in the carriage with him, when we go past the next bend, would you just look out the window and just tell me if you see a handkerchief tied to a tree at the bottom of the garden? And he closed his eyes and buried his head in his hands. And as the train journeyed around the corner, around the bend, everyone in his carriage stood up and everyone looked out the window and told him to do the same. And every single tree was covered with a white sheet. Every single tree was covered with a white sheet. Jesus' calling card to us is similarly graphic but it is his arms stretched out for us upon the cross. Standing there saying to us, here is love for you. Here is love for you. For chances are in our lifetime, we will find ourselves occasionally being the runaway kid. Needing to come back to God and asking his forgiveness.
Sometimes we might even be the stay-at-home kid. Outwardly, no one guesses what's going on, but we're not appreciating the love of God as we used to. And just occasionally, you will have the opportunity to act as the father with love and compassion to your children and to others, and to say, I've got love for you, whatever's going on in your life. Welcome home. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story. We thank you for the part you played to come out and find us. Thank you for the love in your heart for each of us. And we pray that we'd be willing to respond, not just once, but many times in our lives, coming back to you. Coming back and being real with you, sharing what's really going on in our lives how we're really thinking, what we're really feeling. And thank you that you tell us time and time again and you show us you have love for us, forgiveness for us, good plans for us. Help us to embrace them. And thank you, Lord, for the joy that you have, that none of this was done through gritted teeth, that there is joy in heaven over every person who turns to you. And we pray that increasingly we be a community that celebrates your loving kindness. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.